Welcome to the Band Voices podcast. This is Joseph Dunnigan. Band Voices is the podcast from the Band Books Museum, a museum in Tallinn, Estonia, that exhibits and preserves books from around the world that have been banned, burned and censored. In this podcast, we preserve the stories of authors, editors and publishers who have experienced censorship or persecution. Band Voices does not necessarily endorse the views and opinions of its guests. Our role is to give them a platform to tell their story from their own perspectives. Today I talked with Santa Romeri. Santa is a Latvian author. She wrote a book last year called Musias, which is ours in English. And she wrote this book as a inspiring collection of biographies for young Latvian girls. But there was a lot of controversy when she released the book because of the inclusion of one particular political figure. Santa was the first author to reach out to the Band Books Museum when she sent us a copy of her book and it really meant a lot to me to hear her story and to be able to preserve her story as the first podcast guest. I had this idea, uh, I think in 2019 or 18 even, it was around the 100 years of Latvia, like we were celebrating the uh, 100 years of Baltic states, of uh, Latvian independence, of Latvian state. (laughs) And uh, there were many cultural events and uh, there was uh, some special publishings and uh, some small booklets about how Latvia was doing during this time. And, and I was asked to write about the feminism situation in Latvia o- over the hundred years of our existence. And uh, I had like two tasks on my table. I had to write this article about the feminism in Latvia and I had to write the review, the, the critical review of the book, uh, The Goodnight Stories, uh, uh, The Goodnight, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And uh, at the same time, I had these two tasks and I, uh, and I understood that actually I want to mix them together because I was so impressed by the book and uh, I read it like two times because I had to review it and, and I read it to my kids and, uh, and it seemed so special and I, th- I was like on this wave <laughs> and I thought there's nothing else I could write about feminism in Latvia than just to tell in similar stories actually our history that we actually have the same amount, like in my head already, I had like some 20 uh, women I could tell fairy tales about. And I had like this very strong uh, will to do it and to to experiment actually how it is to to write uh, the biography, the story of one's life in one uh, page. And uh, yeah, and I, so I wrote uh, seven or nine uh, Actually, I wrote nine, but I think we published seven fairy tales about Latvian women for this uh, hundred years of Latvia special book, and uh, we got uh, yeah people liked it. Uh, I had uh, I got like many comments on the internet, and it was spread all over. And people said, yeah, you should write some more. And even some publishers already wrote in the comments on Facebook, yeah, you should write some more, and we could, uh, uh, yeah publish the whole book. We need our uh, rebel girls, uh, the Latvian version. And uh, my favorite artist uh, also uh, made a comment on the book and she said, uh, Elina Braslinja, who is like our best young yeah, book artist, uh, illustrator. She said, uh, I want to, to do those illustrations. And so when these miracles happen in life, when several people want something together, you just start to do it. 
uh, yeah, the first seven was easy task, the, <laughs> the first 10, but then I, I had to decide like whom I gonna tell about. Like at first I told about those most remarkable, the first that come to your head, but to write 50, then I had to do like some selection. And, uh, and the problem with uh, uh, biographies of women is that um, they are not written. <laughs> You cannot actually find a lot of information about uh, Latvian women. Well, you know that there was a one good doctor or there was uh, this one special artist or the first artist, but it's usually, you know, just uh, one or two sentences to tell about them. And I actually had to do quite a lot of research, like really to read anything that could be found to be sure that this legend that I kind of know about her life is actually true or to, to get to know some new facts. And uh, I uh, worked on these 50 stories for about a year. Like I, I was reading a lot. I, I did a lot of choice and I, and I was identifying myself with each of the, each of them. Like every time I kind of lived this one week with this one special woman, and I said, and I always thought that this one is the best. This one is the the one I want to be. And it was like very personal. But I was not sure that it will be published. When I had already like thirty seven stories, I said to the publisher who once made the comment on the Facebook, "Do you still want to publish it?" Like I I wrote those stories. And they were a bit hesitating, but they said, yeah, let's do it. That's really cool. Uh, let, let's try. And uh, they uh, did this Kickstarter project, this crowdfunding. Uh, so they said that there's this book in preparation. Many stories have been written. Elina had already started to draw. And uh, we uh, collected all the necessary money in three days. So the support from the people was huge, like it, and it was such a nice uh, start, a nice feeling that you know that so many people want to have these uh, stories of women heard. Uh, so it started very good. That's really cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I really like this, uh, the way it came about. Um, I would really like to find out more about uh, like your approach to the book and uh, your. Um, this you mentioned. Uh, what was the name of the book before that really inspired you? Rebel Tales. For, uh, for the Good Night Stories uh, for the Rebel yeah. Girls. It uh, was written by, um, I think. Uh, yeah, I have to find uh, the two remarkable women, Elena Favilli and Francesca Cavallo. Uh, yeah. I think it was published in United States, but they are like of Italian origin. And it's a very, very popular girl, uh, book for girls and for children, uh, where they tell like these uh, stories of women in one simple tale, like, uh, uh, I don't know, about uh, Margaret Thatcher, about Coco Chanel, mm -hmm. about uh, all of them in a very simple way. And uh, as a, um, I had to write this review and, there were some comments I actually wa wanted to say that, for example, when you read, I don't know, I was reading about Nina Simone, and these were not the facts that I would probably put in the story about her. Like for me, she's somebody else, but I understand this whole game. Like this book is more like a game. You just tell something good and funny and how incredible and impressive these uh, lives of these women have been. And it's just like this... Uh, moment of uh, empowerment that you get from reading it 
it's not always very intellectual or uh, very historical, but it's like it is written with the same attitude every time. And it has a, um, yeah, uh, the book always, every tale has an illustration. Uh, it was done by several artists uh, for the original Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, but we worked only with one artist, with Elena, who did all the 50 <laughs> images while she was breastfeeding her young infant. <laughs> like she, she worked uh, on two things at the time. She said, I have a daughter, I have to do it for her. Uh, so she was working really fast and she did all these magnificent 50 <laughs> images yeah yeah I'll show you the they're really really nice I, I have my copy here as well <laughs> yeah and it's and really cool fun. i really love the way you took the uh the fairy tale approach that was something i didn't necessarily expect from uh you know i understood okay it's a book about you know 50 uh inspiring women or women who you know uh the stories of 50 women for for girls, but I didn't think it would take this fairy tale approach. And I read through them. Uh, well, I read through the translations that you sent me, which were really nice. Thank you for doing that, by the way. And uh, I really loved the fairy tale method that you used because it re I really felt like, you know, if I were a kid, um, this is how kids understand things. Actually, they understand things in this narrative way. That if you give them, uh, if you give them a kind of a clinical, cold, dry account of what this person did, like a Wikipedia entry, then it doesn't connect with them and it actually doesn't inspire. But your approach was, I think, probably very effective. I wonder whether you um, you did that because you expected that your own kids or you said Elena's kids, that that would be a motivation that would help them to understand it. Was that your, is that why you choose that approach? Yeah, well, like I'm a mother for 10 years and I uh, have to explain things to my kids every day, every evening. So they, they ask me those many questions and they are growing bigger and they ask more serious questions like, can two men get married and why? why cats are dying and uh, why some people doesn't speak the same language that we do. And it becomes even more and more political. And you have to answer these questions yourself. And I still had so many unanswered questions for me myself. Like I, I, I don't have these simple answers about the world and I have to figure out how to tell them in a simple but truthful way. And so I think I was already trained in this way. And I also, I work a lot, I write about children's literature. So I always review the new books and we have many nice translated books uh, published in Riga. And also, yeah, I think our children's book situation is, is very good. And uh, we have many nice children's books to read and I review them, I write about them and we discuss, we speak with illustrators sometimes in some seminars and so so I was really motivated to try maybe also to write something myself. Um, but I didn't feel that I could write just some fiction because I'm more of this publicist or theorist uh, myself. So and I found something uh, in between that my first idea was to ask somebody to do this task. That's probably some writer could do it better. But then I, I thought that... But I know what I want to tell and it's, it would be too difficult to, to find work as a producer for, for this project than to, to do it just myself uh, qu quietly <laughs> and slowly um, and taking my time on doing it. But yeah. I, I hope other people will do it as well, because these are my 50 stories, the stories that I know, that they are uh, remarkable for me. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I found that it was very, uh, very personal, actually, that uh, it felt like, and I understand that you chose these women based on uh, your own reaction to their stories, that these yeah. are the women that you uh, personally, like you had this, you came at this from a kind of emotional place of choosing, not from a kind of intellectual place of like, um, that you that you kind of uh, let your heart kind of follow like okay this woman is like their story is like really touching me so this is the one I want to choose to communicate I was wondering how you chose these 50 specifically um, yeah. Mm. yeah well these were both things together like I had to do some research and I I was asking around I was asking my friends and some other like some Latvian feminists which uh, women would they recommend and which are remarkable for them and I I uh, gave a lot of thought to it as well but i wrote this really big list and uh but i was following the feeling by by choosing because i knew so i i i tried to write about seven uh i made these blocks of seven so one was really old one was really young and somewhere in between like to represent all the uh history like of 150 years and the different periods of time and uh, how was uh uh, the evolution of the feminism in these in this block of seven of them. So it was somehow the structure for me that worked to have like seven, seven, and seven, and uh, and I I spent a lot of time looking at, on the seven words together, and that I felt that there's some kind of connection that I feel for them that they kind of represent maybe similar ideas for me. Uh, I, I couldn't put uh, I don't know Anna in the same block where Ines is because I thought that they are from different. I don't know. It was just some inner structure I kind of followed yeah. because I also had to do some discipline to. Um, to motivate myself to work, I had to find some inspiration and that I was going to libraries and reading the books about them and trying to find some information. And then, but it often was that I spoke with some of them because those who are alive, I, I was uh, making the interviews with them and asking them like, well, how would they like to be this uh, story told? Because I don't want to just put my version on what they think. For example, one of my favorites is Signe Bauman. It's our cinema director. The, who lives in New York and she has like many awards and she's like magnificent feminist animation director. And uh, I wrote, I was really ashamed to show the fairy tale that I wrote because she's much better writer than I am. And she said like, no, it's not me because I feel like Scheherazade, Scheherazade, like this uh, Eastern princess. I'm not the way the princess you want me, to, you see me. And then we were speaking for a long time. We had some conversations on the internet and, and then we came up together with this story that she said, yeah, that, that's about me. And uh, so many of these uh, uh, fairy tales that you actually read, it's like the combination between my version and the version that the actual princess uh, wanted to, her, uh, to see herself. And that's why maybe it's sometimes a bit eclectic because uh, I couldn't always keep the same size or the same style because uh, they didn't want to participate in a different way, but not, but I thought I'm not an oppressor. I I, I want this uh, star to shine the way she wants to shine, and uh, it was just an interesting research for me. I don't know. There was this anthropological touch as well, and uh, uh, I I got like so many great emotions by doing it, uh, and luckily I, I could uh, yeah. 
but I, I wrote more than 50 stories. That's the fact. And I did uh, more, yeah. I was compilating afterwards, like I, I was taking someone away and bringing someone back. But I think it's also because like my first education is in cinema. And I, uh, when I edit sometimes some video material, uh, when I work on editing, uh, it's always that you, you have to be harsh on yourself and you have to cut somebody out of the story that you love. And so, yeah, it took some, some reflection some time. And yeah, I think that your, your discipline really comes through. I think, you know, I really liked it. Uh, yeah, you said they're all kind of different stories and some of them are longer, some of them are shorter, but I really like the structure of, like, for example, you use everybody's first names and sometimes you don't even refer to their second names at all. Like you're creating these characters and it really follows this uh, fairy tale style. I like it very much. And um, well, yeah, that was uh, the idea from the beginning. Like uh, in the Good Night stories uh, for the Rebel Girls, uh, it was not the same way only with the names of the girls. It was, it's about Nina Simone and uh, well, it was still told in a quite a familiar and personal way, but it was about this one person. But uh, for me, it seemed important that, uh, first of all, I don't make the top 50 of Latvian women. These are not the best, uh, the top girls and women that we have. These are stories that I know. And these are... and. Just looking at those names, I thought I had Ines, Sandra, Anna, uh, Lila in my class. We were sitting together and we had already in ourselves like our dreams, uh, what we want to become. And uh, we had like these different uh, destinies, <laughs> how we grew up. And, uh, and I wanted like to create this kind of classroom for my young reader that she knows that uh, the Ines, who sits next to you, can grow up and become a sports, like top one champion in basketball. And uh, the other girl uh, can, yeah, she can become even the president. And some of my classmates have already also become big architects and very important person, people in arts and so. And I thought, yeah, uh, it's just... To, good, to give these examples, like how many girls having these Latvian names have actually uh, proven themselves being, uh, yeah, so great. But did you do that because you, when you were growing up, you didn't have something similar? Was that the motivation? Or did you grow up in a context where you were told, you know, you can do it, you, you know, being a woman is not some kind of, you know, obstacle to success? Mm. Like, uh, I still don't have enough <laughs> role models to follow. And actually, for me, myself, and I think also the book is written not just for kids, but also for the parents and for other people of my generation who still don't have enough these uh, female names and role models that you could uh, follow and to have like uh, something, yeah, some variations in what you can become but I was not in a particularly bad situation because uh, yeah uh, there were many nice girls in my uh, class uh, we were friends uh, there were not a lot of bullying or something I'm not like uh, 
somebody who was in this victim position and who wants to write like in revenge or to prove or show something i think i had i had quite an amazing experience and and i'm actually really surprised that uh, from my class and from my studies many girls have become uh, so yeah remarkable and I knew them as uh, Elena, Zane, Inese I know they are the director of Contemporary Arts Museum <laughs> or the, the architect in Paris or the mother of five <laughs> or like uh, yeah uh, and well since the beginning I had this uh, um, feeling that uh, Latvia like is small but I know in our society, so many remarkable girls, and actually girls who are remarkable also on the worldwide level, like the top opera singers and top artists, and uh, the first IT girl in Australia <laughs> comes from Latvia. That it's it's funny and it's paradoxical in a way that's like you can take this one small part of the world, like this one country, and name so many great. Uh, feminist <laughs> examples and so many strong women that uh, it's just uh, it's just great to to talk about it and I know that other countries do it as well like uh, Ukrainians have many many uh, strong and uh, great women to to write about and I think Lithuanians are doing at the moment but I think they are not doing this um, in this way of fairy tales but just doing the picture and the story together uh, yeah, so yeah. it's kind of a trendy thing to do, but I think it's necessary. It just brings the girls back on the map and then we can go together, <laughs> men and women, and, and speak about the history, not just with uh, male faces, <laughs> because if not, you look in the encyclopedia and you see mainly these black and white pictures with big birds and just a few women in between them. Or when you look at the list of the Nobel Prize, there are some women, but too few but there could have been more so I wanted to bring this pink color into the history and maybe a bit different approach to telling the history to find a, another way how to speak about the hundred years of Latvia and who were the important people because for me these were the important people who shaped our country and the way it is and uh, yeah yeah, I think I see that. And I see how it's um, a very useful tool for adults uh, to communicate with their, to communicate with kids, but also just to educate themselves. Like I am sitting here and reading your uh, translated, uh, translated pages and I am educating myself. I didn't know any of these details. And it's like my world is now expanding. And uh, so I really like that. And I really like the image of, you know, um, parents using this as a teaching aid to kind of open the minds of their kids to make them aware of like a historical context which they maybe are coming from or to teach them about a you know a neighboring country like i can see people i can see parents in uh, estonia or in lithuania or surrounding areas also using this as an aid to um to talk about latvia and to introduce the topic but in this way that the kids actually care about in a way that they can engage with because it has this narrative fairy tale Kind of approach so i think it really works in that way and actually this is what fairy tales are for you know this is like the whole point is like that you use them as a kind of parents use them as a metaphor to explain to kids this is how the world works and these are the things you need to know about but i can't just give you a kind of dry statistics based version i need to tell this in the form of a narrative 
So I think it's really effective in that way. Um, but then, of course, it becomes complicated when it's uh, when it's trying to explain something to the kids that is, um, say, political or something which is uh, the parents would consider to be a sensitive topic. And of course, that mm. is uh, something which you run up against. So maybe you can tell this story of uh, the reception of the book, the initial reception yeah. of the book. So what happened. I, I told the the good part of yeah. the story, like <laughs> how, how nice it started, the whole money in three days and yep, everybody's yep. so motivated. And I was actually like shocked. Why would so many people want to support the feminist book, which it actually is like... Uh, but yeah, the already like before we published the book, I spoke with some other publishers and I said, no, the, the page 75. Mm -mm. Uh, if you were publishing this book in my publishing house, this page wouldn't exist. And, and I said, why? Like I, I, I needed this page. <laughs> okay, let's uh, talk about page 75 about the page yeah. 75 <laughs> i think it's 75 or 74 i think it's 75 so yeah it's the story uh, i included uh, tatiana tatiana zdanok uh, who is known in latvia she has a very bad uh, reputation she is our politician and uh, at the times when uh, latvian independent we Everybody was fighting here for the Latvian independency, like the 30 years ago. She was the leader of the Interfront, not of the National Front, those who were fighting for the freedom and aspiring like, to have our uh, independent country. Like She was representing the communists, the Russian part of the society, and fighting against uh, independent Latvia. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has had the, her... Uh, the yeah court procedures and uh, she she was not in prison but she had yeah she was not allowed to continue to be a politician like uh, to be in the parliament of latvia because of uh, she was considered like the the enemy of the state and uh, that uh, yeah well i think all the baltic uh, countries have uh, these uh, people uh, who who were representing the communist interests uh, uh, during the 90s uh, when uh, the Latvians, Estonians and Lithuanians were aspiring their independency. And I know she's bad. <laughs> and uh, I know her from my childhood. Uh, everybody knew this person, Tatiana Zdanoka. It was like, we, we didn't understand what she has done, but she was representing the, the bad people, the, the evil people. Uh, but still, she is uh, uh, in the... Um, party that is always elected by some by a big part of latvian uh, citizens like because she is uh, uh, representing the interests of the russian uh, speaking uh, society in latvia and she is also the um, par uh, in the parliament of european union representing our country and uh, well she is active and st she still hasn't changed her uh, political conviction she's still like defending uh, the rights of russian people in latvia mm -hmm. because the, the democracy allows her to do it uh, because that's how democracy works you have the opposite the opposition and the position and uh, people can have different views and defend different interests yeah maybe you and, can uh, maybe you can give an overview of the um the latvian and 
Russian-speaking Latvian situation for those who are not from the Baltic states and quite familiar. I'm quite familiar with this, you know, living in Estonia for six years. We have the same thing, I guess. Oh, but in like yeah, let's uh, let's do it diplomatically. But uh, yeah, well, those who don't uh, it's know, again it's, difficult because it's such a sensitive and uh, difficult topic. Topic, and uh, I uh, I will do it in a simple way again. Uh, but like yeah, during the Soviet times, uh, many Russian-speaking people came to our land to latvia and they stayed here these were people like the families of the those people of in in arm our, our army people and uh, those who just came here to work and uh, most of the schools became russian schools and the russian language was the primary language in uh, in latvian working places uh, in uh, factories in uh, in schools as well and of course uh, latvians uh, felt really oppressed and they hated it and we know the history like what happened or that our country was occupied by soviet union and people have suffered a lot under this uh, regime and I write quite a lot of these uh, stories also in my book, like explaining the destinies of other girls and women and families who, whose brothers were killed and whose fathers were killed and the uh, apartments were taken away and uh, how much, for example, Janina, <laughs> this one special girl, Janina, who resisted against the Russian language. She didn't want to go to school and speaking Russian and therefore she couldn't go to university she went to Estonia. She could study only in Estonia because she had to, had too much conflict, but because of fighting against Russian language here. And yeah, still we have many uh, Russian-speaking people uh, in Latvia, uh, not half, but almost. Uh, and uh, I think there's three hundred thousand non-citizens. Uh, this special category that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. We have non-citizens in uh, Latvia, those people who didn't want to convert into Latvians uh, to do this process of naturalization and uh, who still have their Russian schools and Russian television and uh, who support the, uh, the politics of Putin and uh, who still consider that they live in Russia. And of course the locals uh, still have, uh, are against, and there's this big trauma because the history has been really harsh towards our people, yeah. but we live together and uh, we will continue to live together. And uh, with next generations, those people and their kids and next generations they will naturally like they they will speak more and more latvian and somehow i think i believe they will integrate in our society and uh, uh, i hope for the best uh, and i think it's just a uh, yeah yeah we have we all strive towards this integration and this understanding because between the different societies and uh, yeah, I wanted to include Tatiana as a person who represents also this part, uh, because in each classroom we had one Tatiana, at least, even if, if it was a Latvian class. Many, many girls and boys in my school had uh, parents from different uh, nationalities and different backgrounds and with different political views. And I think it's not just fair to continue to tell only this one 
side of the history. Uh, actually, when uh, this story started, because uh, um, nobody uh, wanted to be the pioneer, I asked those uh, women who are included in my book, can I write you about as a girl who was a pioneer and having this red scarf and going to a Soviet school? But they were, no, I actually more felt like a I was belonging to the nature. I, was, I felt that I was the girl who was walking in the woods. I'm this green princess with romantic dreams. And I said, but I, I still needed at least one story about a girl who was going to a Soviet school and having the red scarf because it's a big part of the history and a big part also of our yeah culture and uh, everything. Yeah, for for those who for those who don't know, the pioneers are. I guess in this, in they're in schools and uh, they're in Russian-speaking schools, right? And it's you get a red scarf, and it's kind of like it looks like the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts or something it's like, like that. Like the Communist Scouts, like yeah, the Communist that, Scouts, yeah, yeah, for like young kids. So like what, ten, eight, ten years old, yeah, something I think like this. At first, you was this October kid, and everybody who went to school be became the October kid. We had this small red uh, star, mm -hmm. and then in the fourth or fifth uh, class people were becoming pioneers and yeah. I think it was obligatory for everyone and to follow these uh, rules of honor <laughs> that the pioneer never is rude is never rude is never uh, is always helping grandma and so it well which is nice thing to help grandma but you had to do in the name of Lenin in the name of uh, ideology and and that's a big part and I think the next generations and already our kids they need to know and we have to speak from different points of view about what's uh, the reality of our parents and grandparents was during the, those 50 years of soviet uh, reality yeah i think that and, every it's, and it it's, was, it's, mm. i was saying that every, i think that every uh, every story in your book seems to touch on this every because there's not a woman who was not affected by this and there's not a woman who their story doesn't somehow touch upon this the yeah, intrusion of um, Soviet policy into their lives in Latvia. So I think, mm. yeah, it seems like this is this is the over this is the arching story uh, when you mm. when you look through the the fifty examples that you've come up with. Yeah, I think it started like 150 years ago with the first with um, Elza Aspasi, our big uh, poet. And at that time, it was Russian Empire. This place was called Russian Empire. <laughs> then people for a long time were striving to have their independent country. And all those uh, stories describe it like the way how they wanted to study, how there's this one uh, girl who wanted to study in Latvian. And then there's this first girl who grew up and she found, uh, she established the first uh, school for Latvian girls to, to be educated in Latvian language and all the time this question of language was going through my book well almost every girl since the beginning was connected to this question of what uh, yeah of making our country of aspiring for the creation of latvia and then the latvia is created and there's this some some years of independent country and then the struggle comes again and then the the story of the Second World War comes and the Soviet story uh, like uh, comes <laughs> and uh, takes away the independency and the language that we had. And uh, there's all time like, yeah, this uh, um, aspect of uh, our language. And uh, 
And I think we had to talk also about this other part, like uh, who were those people who came from different countries, who stayed there and who are still living here and how are they and what was their motivation? I could have done it maybe even more, but as, as it was also with the other stories, it was difficult to find a biography that has a, a scenario <laughs> that has an actually fairy tale inside it with some miracle, with something incredible, with some turning points, which is not just this dry uh, Wikipedia tale. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and it was like go- growing bigger and bigger. I had this feeling that I don't have this uh, communist or pioneer girl in my, uh, um, yeah, collage. <laughs> so in, you considered picture. So you saw this as a kind of your uh, your duty, your responsibility to include well, also I, the, I the other this. side of the coin. Yeah, but and then I, I was actually uh, accidental, accidentally that I came up with the story because I was looking for another scientist. I saw there's not enough sciencey women in my book. Uh, we need maybe some more mathematician or some doctor or something. And then I understood. Yeah, we had we have this one uh, Tatiana Zdanoka who was an excellent mathematician. Uh, like the she has even the geom mm, theorem. Theorem, how you call yeah, it? Theorem, yeah. Theorem uh, in ge- geometry named after her. So it's something quite remarkable. And I start to to look more like about her story and what it was. And I felt that there is some potential. And of course, I understood that this is a very difficult story to tell. And uh, and I, but I wanted to, to tell it the same way as the other stories, like not making it, to uh, like don't give too much of my own feelings just to put the story as it is very neutral Um, and so I wrote that once upon a time there was this uh, little girl Tatiana who lived in Riga and she went to a Russian school and spoke Russian language (laughs) so all the other girls went to Latvian schools and spoke Latvian language but there's this one who went to Russian school and spoke Russian language and uh, so I explained how her parents got there here and uh, why she became who who she is like uh, they like to mm, this uh, for example, Tatiana's father had fought in the World War II and the victory day of the Soviet army was one of the biggest celebrations in their family. And they, her parents both were teachers in these Russian schools. And so she had big ideas in the family and she was very convinced that this communist reality is something good and, and she kind of liked it. She once went to France and, and she didn't like it there because she was lacking this nice uh, Soviet friendly spirit that she was experiencing at home. And uh, yeah, and she, she always wanted to fight with somebody, but it's actually something mm-hmm. I just imagined that this is this very competitive girl who always wants to be the best and she doesn't have enough uh, um, like... Uh, 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 enough people to fight to fight against like she's better than any boy or girl in her class better than any student like she's the best in math in in math and then she decides that she could in this moment in the 90s that she could fight against all the latvian state Mm -hmm. Um, well it it is written with it is ironical and uh, i don't know i feel like you're um 
you're kind of looking for a kind of a truth. You're kind of communicating truth, literally through like a metaphor, through art or some kind of higher poetic truth that is um, where you're talking yeah. about her competitiveness and you're kind of creating this character, this fairy tale character and imagining, okay, how does a person get to a point where she's resisting the independence, for example, of the country that she's living in? Well, actually, you can get to that place. You can get to that place, you know, with all of these different characteristics. So I thought it was actually quite a kind of a sympathetic portrayal um, of, of her. I thought it was a kind of an imagining. It seemed to be an exercise in imagining how a person could get to this place where she has these policies, which I think is a nice way to approach this topic, especially if you're uh, talking with kids about it, that you can introduce this idea that, okay, how does a person become air quotes, a bad person. Well, actually, we all have these characteristics that if you take them to extremes and if you are part of a community that has certain values and if you're part of a community that you do not feel is represented, then you can start doing things which, from other people's perspectives, would be you know, problematic mm. or against but their culture. Is, hmm. But it's also something that was like uh, lacking for me in this trend of writing feminist stories that we describe women only as heroes, as heroines, <laughs> that they are always just good, just great, just perfect. And those people do not exist in the real world. So there are also the bad feminists, there are the killers, there are the bad politicians, there's this part as well. And uh, this part was not included in the good night stories for the rebel girls, but now when we know already how to, when probably the same author, if she would write uh, for the second time, again, the book about the rebel girls, maybe she would include some more controversy and some more uh, different characters. Well, she just stayed in this very positive uh, version like all the girls were super powerful and you have to look upon them and become like they have been and I wanted to add a little bit more of this conflict also in other stories I I described some of them sometimes were not quite honest or maybe they are not the best but from what they had in the beginning and what they have done they have showed a lot of strength and a lot of uh, independent spirit <laughs> and they were standing on their feet in, in different ways and the result was not always good and for many of them there's no result yet uh, those who uh, like the last 10 stories in my book is about uh, women who are still young here and who do not have a lot of recognition or something we don't know if they will enter in the history but for this moment this is where I see where the future probably goes and, and this makes the comparison how it was in the beginning what the girls were struggling for and what they struggle for now like in the beginning you wanted just to go to school and now you want to uh yeah like matra you want to do the sterilization operation because you don't want to have kids and uh, it's like it shows the distance what what um, yeah what have we done and where are we now i really appreciated yeah. that i really appreciate that you're not trying to uh, kind of sanitize things you're not trying to take off all of the rough edges or overprotect uh, the kids, the readers from, from these, uh, from these topics. I think that that's mm -hmm. the mark of a, well, that's the mark of a feminist book that you don't just try to portray this kind of endlessly positive 
kind of example that you're talking about real people and that you're mm. not afraid to talk about the realities and the awkward subjects and the kind of contradictions. Yeah, but so I didn't finish about Tatiana. So yeah, when the book uh, was published, when we came finish, to the end, the and when <laughs> when it had to be our best day because a big project has been accomplished, uh, somebody who has seen the book <laughs> opened the page seventy-five and saw, "Wow, it's about Tatiana, the enemy of the state." So this is the book. This book must be supported by the supporters of Kremlin politics, and so it was spread all over the Twitter like this one sentence uh, from the book that once upon a time there was Tatiana in this country who was added to Soviet Union. In the previous uh, fairy tale, I was talking about the occupation and like you know as a writer you choose different names uh, not to repeat all the same <laughs> all the time the same and in this particular story it was added not occupied and so there was a huge um, shitstorm <laughs> on the twitter before the opening of the book uh, just about these few sentences just about the fact that she is included that the the book is childish, that I describe it in a very childish manner, that I am this um, uh, betrayer of the state, and like so much insult <laughs> towards that it actually ruined the opening of the book, because nobody bought this book with the idea, oh, it's a nice pink book that about uh, fe with feminist stories that I will read to my children. They knew, oh, the Tatiana book, the scandal book. Uh, so, yeah, it, it still um, became quite popular. And uh, there's like two already, there have been like two editions uh, to this book. And uh, it, it is sold even in the Rimi supermarket. <laughs> like in the kiosks, like everywhere. The pink book is everywhere. How did, but, they, how did the publishers react to this when they realized that this was a scandal that was going on? Did they approach you and ask you to change no, things or were they supportive? They were on my side from the beginning. And the publishers, uh, actually, they are not the children's book publishers. This is uh, usually the this culture and philosophy magazine, uh, internet magazine, who sometimes do some paper publishings as well. And uh, yeah... Uh, they were trying to to defend something and to speak because I was asked to speak on a television, on the radio and explain why. The question was, how could you do this to our national heroes, to the other books, to our ex-president, to our big politician, Sandra Kalnit, to our big artists? How could you do this to them, to put them together with Tatiana Zdanoka? And I thought, is it the first time that you realize that she actually lives in our country, that she represents us in the European Parliament, that she is a politician and she is not in prison, she's still not considered a criminal. And it's not up to me to make the, this, this decision. I just mentioned her in the whole story of our history. And uh, I, of course, I expected that there could be some part of people that will be, um, well, triggered or they would, wouldn't like it. And they would say, well, you, well, this is rebel. This is not nice. Well, I, I knew that there could be some reactions on Twitter, but I, I wouldn't expect that this will become like on this national level. Like there were discussions in television, like those uh, from the, uh, those uh, 
fighters for independence who like uh, were the politicians uh, who yeah from the Tautas Front, the front of people, people's yeah, party. the uh, like the yeah. um, Latvian Front Party, the party that was yes. advocating for independence in the in yeah. the 90s. well, our national heroes, Dainis Evans, he was speaking about how awful, how disgusting this book is, and how these two young, uneducated women could do this such an insult to our country such an insult and i couldn't speak against it um well i didn't have enough arguments like i i'm not uh, so strong in politics um to explain on television to the whole country like what is democracy and and why it is okay so um, you were just being you just felt like you were being attacked unendingly and you didn't have an opportunity to respond or you didn't feel like you were able to respond i tried to respond like i tried to respond the same way like i knew where where i stand and i knew that even in this uh, fairy tale it's written latvians consider her the enemy of the state i think it's explained you cannot say even more if you don't want to become like really insulting but however latvia is a democratic country and democracy means that all citizens regardless or whether we agree with them or not have their right to express their opinions and depend their interests so that was the shortest explanation of democracy that i could find that which would probably work for kids 11 or 12 years old and something that they would need to speak with their parents actually because uh, our country is founded on uh, <laughs> on democracy and what it is and how what is the reality what it means i think you you cannot just live with this word and repeat it independence democracy you have to from the childhood you have to understand the content of it and what it actually is and it is a topic to talk about even with young kids and to answer them why an evil witch is ruling still in our country how how this paradox can exist can we as parents or society answer our kids why she is in european parliament why she is representing somebody here why people are voting for here for her See, that's what I didn't get. Was was nobody on your side? Was there nobody standing up and saying like this? This person is giving us an opportunity for parents to talk to kids about this really important politician. Well, you know, like uh, nobody read the book before they started to talk about it. Right. Like people were just uh, shaming us and uh, actually asking to burn it, <laughs> to take the page out because the book is excellent. The book is so nice. The pictures are so great and it's so beautiful. But the page 75, you could have to cut it out. And there were so many like people, even other publishers were saying that Santa next time you publish it you take this page out and you simply apologize in the introduction and i say apologize for what and uh, yeah so that was the, uh, the really apologize yeah. really apologize for what <laughs> i don't know <laughs> for, for being brave enough to bring up this to re represent one of the 50 women one out of 50 women you decide well, yeah. you know you, you decided to it's important to represent to, it's mm. important to represent this group of people who make up 50% of the country and who look up to this woman. And yeah. 
I, I don't understand exactly what the motivation is for um, asking you to apologize. Well, I, I didn't neither, but uh, yeah, people were upset and as they were asking me to answer this again and again, and I said, I, I cannot anymore because <laughs> my kid has just broken the leg and I don't have the other parents in this country who could help me to actually to go to, to those interviews and to talk to you. Well, when people started to read it, there were some good remarks about it. And they said, many people from my generation said, wow, that's actually what we needed. It was so easy to speak with it, about it with my kid. And uh, people are saying thank you to me, like privately, because it was too brave to say it online that you actually like the book. And then there were some um, feminist uh, critique writers who wrote good reviews about it, who said that from the feminist point of view, it's really mild and it's not aggressive and it's just a mild, nice book and very informative and so on. So um, all the good words, um, I appreciated them a lot. Usually I'm not someone who is looking up to, to have these good remarks about what I'm doing, but this time like I, I really needed it. But it was really crazy because even like some renowned literature critiques, some big names, even from the LGBT community, were saying, no, she didn't do it. It's You cannot just put Tatiana in the top 50. And I said, it's not top 50. It's there's stories for kids. <laughs> um, many stories just to show that there can be many. And and you have this, uh, I don't know, you're already the professor of literature science and you still don't see what I'm doing in my work because your national feelings are so triggered. But apparently most of people just didn't read it. Then the Christmas time came and one of those people who did the critiques, they said, oh, I actually read your book and I understood there, this, there is this inner dra drama inside dramaturgy, like there's a script inside it that it doesn't make her look so bad or so good, or I don't know. So when people read the book, they understood, but they were too, the cancel process, canceling process started before reading it and it started on Twitter. And this is what happens a lot, I think, uh, in with the social media. But usually it works the other way around. And like those people who have these liberal thoughts, they are usually reproached uh, of uh, cancel culture. <laughs> and this time I experienced what is the cancel culture on my skin because I mentioned a sensitive uh, topic in my feminist books. Nobody was triggered about the question of Madre, uh, this artist who um, did the sterilization on her and who did, did many provocative artistic facts. Nobody was triggered by Margot, whom nobody knows her, but she was living in a stinky apartment where her parents were dying and her grandfather was dying. It was all disgusting. Who is she? Nobody asked because nobody, nobody read it. They read only those particular uh, pages where you could show your attitude, where you stand on your political spectrum. And uh, also it was bad because uh, the book came out in the same week when there was the elections of the city council. And so people were really motivated to, to show their political views uh, in that particular week. Uh, for me, it was like, I felt really sorry because um, some of these ladies who became upset, uh, 
I really love them, <laughs> those heroes from my book. Uh, they also felt like they have I betrayed them because I didn't tell them that they will be in the same book with uh, Tatiana. And I think they will never speak to me again. And, and it's too sad. Well, th this is the part that the, the saddest part for me, I think, because uh, I, I love their stories. And uh, yeah, Tatiana didn't like her story, but she didn't speak to me. I wrote her some emails and I said that maybe we could have an interview and to write your story properly, but she didn't reply. So I had to write the story as I could read about her. But the, those other, our national heroes and singers and poets and writers, I spoke with them on phone or in person. And I think we had this very emotional connection. And I said, thank you that you wrote this beautiful fairy tale about me. And then it came out, out and it was, yeah. <laughs> it just. Uh, it's very disturbing to me that they took, it's very disturbing to me that so many people mm -hmm. were happy to take your work out of context and to not look at the story in the grand scheme of things where it could be and to understand the uh fairy tale style if we could call it um that's and it seems like they were trying to use that fairy tale style style to actually create a narrative create a what would you call it a catchphrase a few key words so that they could then attack you during this politically sensitive time where they would get internet points for for doing so yeah, because it was so easy to actually use it. it, because it was childish, it was very simple. It was a childish language. And actually, even those like, I don't know, the, the president of a writer's union said that it's a horrible text, that it's, there's no talent. It's so childish. Well, I think in English, you know, we have this, we distinguish between childish and childlike. And, you know, mm -hmm. my, the key being that uh, childish would be something which is kind of amateur. It's written mm -hmm. as if by a child. But childlike is something which is using the language that children use in order to communicate effectively with that group. And I found that you can easily mix up those two, actually, where mm -hmm. if you don't engage with the writer, if you don't engage with the text, then you look at it and you say, oh, this is childish. It's like, no, no, no. You have to look at it in context and you have to look at the intentions of the writer. And the intentions of the writer is to employ this. The intentions of your intentions were to employ this technique so that people could understand and people could kind of engage with this narrative and explain, you know, from parents to kids, they could explain and the kids could understand it in their own language. Yeah, well, they use the word infantiles, infantile. Well, okay, then infantiles. that's uh, quite explicitly like an attack. <laughs> yeah, uh, those two infantiles ladies, those two young girls, uneducated. It was repeated many times as they don't know anything about history. Just two girls came up with this idea. But we are both like, I'm 40 years old. <laughs> I I'm not a girl. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't consider myself. And I think I've, hmm, I've written pretty many other serious texts in my life and I've done different things and I've been in literature juries and I, I kind of know the field and, and I kind of know the literature. Well, I'm not, the, I don't say that the book is excellent. Of course, there are many flaws and, but it's the first time you do something like this. It's very difficult to, to put a biography in a tale and to 
to keep the things you want to keep. Well, it, it was really a difficult task to do. And for me as a writer for the first time, of course, some stories maybe are not so good, but those who actually read them and who read them to their kids, they say they are okay. And the kids love them. There are those little girls who take them to the bathroom and they spend, they, they take the bath and read the book. And uh, these are the happy things I hear about it, that actually the girls 11, 12 years old, they understand it, they like it, they ask questions about it. And that's what it meant to be. Uh, it was not meant for these young uh, people on Twitter <laughs> who mm -hmm. do not, who will never read this book to their kids and never will, will look on this book from this aspect. Well, normally this book, children's literature usually do, is not discussed on Twitter too much. Well, only those LGBT books, sometimes the books about two mothers or two fathers, they have a lot of slurs uh, uh, mm on the social media but yeah this one uh, went right into the social media and it um, yeah and maybe because of this situation many parents didn't buy this book because they didn't see it as a good book they see it just as a scandal and probably those families who actually would need it and they would need this topic to be discussed in their family well they just didn't get it and uh, and uh, that's too sad well is it enough? Is it enough for you to know that there are girls out there who are reading it, and there are parents who are understanding it and using it to communicate with their kids? Or do you feel like you've been scarred by by no. this experience? Well, like life goes on, and <laughs> there are many new things have happened. Like they told me, just don't react because in two weeks on social media they will discuss about something else and they will forget it. Well, I I didn't forget it, obviously. Um, but yeah, well, I think normally uh, a children's book here, it takes some time uh, how it gets to the family. Because even when I buy a book, I don't read it immediately. I have it in my shelf. And then we, at some moment in my life, I take it out and we read it. And so I think it's a slow process. And it's, uh, well, I didn't need this marketing. Everybody, uh, there are many people who are saying that it was a strategy of marketing to do this scandal to sell more of these evil books. Uh, I didn't get a lot of money from this project, actually. Yeah, it's it's the hmm, less paid thing I've ever done, actually. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy uh, first of all for the, for my kids and for the kids that I know because I have many friends with the kids and and they read it and they like it and I know that the uh, girls are putting these little pictures on their walls and uh, people have just these images and these colors in the city even uh yeah what my publisher did <laughs> which maybe provoked the situation even more uh, they put the big posters on these bus stations here during two weeks but, well, it was a nice idea, right, to do this game, to find the city, the bus station with this special woman. Well, it was intended to be good, but, uh, like, the scandal came before, and there was such a big stigma. Like, it was, I couldn't walk in the city and see those posters because... Uh, the style was so obviously recognizable and people are just, oh, Tatiana book, Tatiana book. They are advertising it everywhere. <laughs> Uh, it was not Tatiana book. It was, uh, yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> it was your work that you put your heart and soul into and did a lot of research for. Yeah, well, 
but I think it was also something that people wanted so much. And uh, there were like these stories, many of them are so empowering and touching and they are beautiful. And how can, well, how can you read the story about your president, about your excellent minister, about all these other remarkable women and still say that it's a bad book. Well, that's the most nationalist and patriotical thing I've ever done in my life. Like usually I, I'm not like so pathetic and so expressing so much pride in what we have as Latvians. So I, I'm kind of more of this uh, citizen of the world. And, and uh, but this time I said, yeah, I am proud of these, of these names. <laughs> of these girls who lived and who could have been in my school and uh, well that it's so amazing and yeah I, I was like so idealistic uh, while I was doing it but do you think that uh, five years from now ten years from now the twitter those the, the controversy mm -hmm. is forgotten and that the book well, can be kind of used for its intended purpose or mm. do you think that it's kind of there's this funny part of the book. There are some teachers in the school uh, who read, you know, for the grammar uh, dictations for the tasks. So they read my fairy tales as the task to the class. And I think that's super funny. Um, I think it's nice that it is. And I hope that this tradition will continue. I, um, I don't have enough... Uh, I think that the trauma somewhere <laughs> stays in me because I don't have the power to start to work on the next book <laughs> because I, I have like 16 more fairy tales and I thought that probably I could compilate another one. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's <laughs> there will be a publisher brave enough who would uh, like to work with me. And that's somehow affected, I think, also my image because I'm not uh, this neutral uh, journalist or writer anymore because if you ask me to review a book already the people know my name and they are a little bit suspicious what this communist Santa will write this time and um, so many disgusting things said about me and and yeah the insults that I'm uh, I'm Jewish <laughs> as, as an insult <laughs> and that I'm this uh, supporter of Kremlin politics and that I've got so there was this conspiracy that I got a lot of money from Russia to make this project <laughs> it's horrible it's stupid right and sometimes you read these things on the internet and you would laugh about it how absurd it is but yeah when when they attack you you don't have too much things to to say to defend yourself because the things I'm saying are very philosophical it's very private like how how was the process of choice of like all the journalists asked me how did you choose these particular 50 women and I start to explain like you know I put those blocks of seven and I was living with those names and so and they are not interested to listen to it like what was my work uh, on choosing them they uh, they ask about the page 75 <laughs> Yeah, they're just their motivation is to just characterize mm. you and to mm. assign, you know, okay, here are two or three adjectives that we can put on you so that it's going to generate controversy so that then people pay attention to our news feed. It's a real mm. shame that you've been through this. I can see that, you know, I can imagine it was a traumatic experience, uh, particularly at the time when you were trying to uh, 
put something into the world that you had worked on um, and it's something that you had believed in and studied. Hmm. But actually, the book helped me <laughs> myself because uh, this, uh, these two weeks in August were really troubling. Well, it was hard to, to see all the time that like, I couldn't go actually to Facebook or to social media because all the time my name was tagged somewhere with some insults. And uh, it, was, it was hot outside. <laughs> I had like this uh, kid who had been taken to the hospital and so on. And I couldn't um, go to sleep. Like I, I just couldn't fall asleep because I was so uh, nervous, uh, anxious. And I was like asking myself, probably I did wrong because it's, I felt so sad that those people who are important for me, like those national fighters, they really feel upset and betrayed. And I, and I was like asking, well, I tried I did my best to understand their position, but I couldn't really figure it out. And then I, I thought, well, they say the book is bad and the critics are saying, yeah, that it's childish, it's infantile. Uh, and I thought I should read it one more time because it has been some, because of the pandemics, it was not published immediately. It was published after some five months uh, um, when it was uh, intended to be published. So, uh, and I read that night my own book uh, and I felt better after every story I wrote in it. And, uh, and it was reassuring me that no, there have been so many women in your place uh, when everybody around them were telling they are wrong that they are doing something wrong, that they don't deserve it. Or like those stories actually uh, helped me <laughs> for the first time. They, they worked as a remedy for myself. Just uh, I could go to bed like it was the good night story for Santa <laughs> who couldn't go to sleep. I had to be reminded that there were those women. They have seen it already and they've been through it, through it. and it's all good. That's so, unbelievable that your mm -hmm. own book became the therapy that you needed at that exact moment. That is quite nice. Yeah. Well, and I hope it works for other girls as well, because I, yeah, I think I would love, I would have loved <laughs> to, to have such a book when I was a kid, because there, there are so often those nights when you maybe did something wrong, or maybe somebody just told you that you are doing it wrong and you don't have, too many people to look up to and um, to follow. You don't know that actually, yeah, many women are going through exactly the same accusations and the same problems and the same obstacles. All kinds of Ines, Sandra, Matra, Alice, Janine, Vaira, and more and more and more. <laughs> and uh, when you know, when you just name them and you say, well, Zenta, Alexandra, Anna, Inese, Vera. Okay, you did it. I can do it too. That's really nice. I think that it will. I think that that will come to pass. I mean, from my perspective, a book. You know, it takes time to find out what a book is. A book, once it's even once it's published, then it goes out into the world. And it's like a child, and it kind of discovers its own journey and it creates its own story. But a book fundamentally is a from my perspective, a kind of a whisper from one person, which is the author, to one person, which is the reader. And this kind of um, Twitter 
share one or two line analysis, group analysis, this is not a communication between the author and the reader. So this is not what your work is going to be remembered for. I think I can see it being used in the future as a people growing up remembering it as something from their childhood that spoke to them. And they will feel that your voice carried through and that they will see the, you know, they will remember the individual stories and this kind of controversy will not be so important to them. That is what I hope anyway. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Actually, just before this podcast, I was uh, listening to discussion about the best uh, art book of last year, <laughs> like uh, the most beautiful book. And for me, my book is the most beautiful book, and it was not shortlisted. <laughs> and I thought that it probably it should have been there, like 50 big paintings inside it. But no. Well, Santa, your book is very precious to me actually i don't know if i told you this actually that your book you were the first person to reach out to ban books when uh, when we opened up that uh, when you reached out to us we were at this stage in the development that you know the museum was it had just opened and we were not really sure what it was we didn't know if it would be accepted by the public we didn't know what it would evolve into being and then to get an email from you at that time saying you know you said uh, you know my name is santa and i have this book and uh, you know this is my story and i want to send you a copy that was for me and for the other people who work in band books it was a really profound moment that we understood that okay what we're doing resonates with people and that you um showing your faith in us and saying like okay these people might understand me is exactly what we hope to achieve, actually. And that I was, I was so happy to get that message from you and then to uh, get the book from you and to now have a conversation with you because I think that your story is really important and I really want to make... It's, the, it's our mission here to preserve your story and to preserve the stories of people like you who have, who have had similar experiences. So I really appreciate that you really came at a, the right moment for us. We literally got... Your book arrived, I think, on the like the 21st or the 22nd of December. And I got a package in the mail. My girlfriend didn't know about it and she picked it up and it had a she said, Joe, you got a you got a package from Santa. This is like two days before Christmas. <laughs> she was she thought it was some kind of joke from somebody that we sent it to. I said, No, 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 this is my this is this is a Latvian writer I told you about. And it was just everything came together just so perfectly for that Christmas where the museum was opened and we didn't know. And then for you to show your faith in us at that moment, it really meant a lot to me. So mm. your the legacy of the book, I believe it's going to continue. I believe that it will continue to speak to, you know, the next generation of young Latvian girls and boys. But I want you to know that it always has a place in my museum. And it has a place in my heart, actually, because it was, you know, it just came at the right moment for me. Hmm. Well, yeah, I, I was like, I read these news that this uh, museum of the banned books uh, has, uh, the Estonians have opened this museum. And I said, yes, they have always been better than we are. But I'm not uh, Estonian. <laughs> I know, but like it, uh, the news came like from that it is in uh, uh. Estonia. <laughs> yeah, well, it was so... Yeah, something that's really uh, captivated my attention, and I and I think it's real. Yeah, we we cannot say that. Yeah, 
we have banned books uh, here in Europe, but apparently we have. Um, like uh, there have been uh, different reasons why some books were, were forbidden and who are those people who forbid the work of others. And I think discussion is so important and uh, so fragile and ongoing in uh, unexpected ways. <laughs> well, I, I, was not so, I was not aware so much of the situation before my personal experience, but still, yeah, I, I went to this festival Documenta some four years ago, and then there was this big building, the Pantheon of Forbidden Books, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which was impressive. And uh, yeah, it, it has a big history, and I think it's a topic that should be uh, discussed more and more. And I, I hope that someday we can travel again, and I, I can actually visit the museum and, and uh maybe some more Latvians also go yeah, there. And... I really hope so. Actually, we've had a lot of interest from Latvia, a lot of people. We were on Latvian TV, as I understand. I didn't see it, I didn't oh. find it, but we did have a camera team come in. So we have been out there and I've had messages, emails from Latvia, from uh, um, other people who have texts that were forbidden, for example, during the Soviet times. So yeah, this is an ongoing project for us. And I really hope that you can come to Estonia as soon as the lockdowns are passed and yeah we can talk more yeah for sure and and yeah the topic of the free speech is so topical still like every day there are so many absurd situations like those people who fight for the freedom to insult us and other people in the name of free speech and it's uh, it's so complicated and it's so harsh sometimes like to especially it's the social media do many good things but they bring also so much um, wild uh, aspects of civilization and uh, yeah that i think they will it's like these uh, all dark times of the internet <laughs> that maybe in future people will speak about like how how people try to figure out what they actually can do and what the freedom from and the freedom to do something and all this yeah i think you know more than me because i see so many books <laughs> in your museum and uh, well, i want actually a, to know the stories of the yeah those. it's an unending uh, it's an unending job actually to jump into this topic of <laughs> free speech and to collect all of these books especially now that people like yourself are sending them to us it kind of grows and grows and grows and it yeah it's becoming extremely complicated and and of course it's complicated by social media and you've you know your your experience your story speaks to that very much it's a very good example of how this can be done but i really appreciate that in this time of um online content where everything is being pushed online that you decided to write a physical book Hmm. not just to publish, <clears throat> that you found a way to publish a physical book in a time where everything is moving digital. I really appreciate that. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of bravery, actually, especially for, for a topic like this, which you know might be divisive. Hmm. Yeah, I think the the kids, just having kids or knowing kids or working with kids or meeting kids or just thinking about kids 
is very motiv- is a big motivation actually to do these things. Uh, because yeah, you think, oh, okay, I'm 40 years old and I kind of feel like I know what to answer and how to deal with the situations when I'm insulted or when I have problems. But it took me some 20 years to, to get here and they have been spent sometimes uselessly. Or for example, like this one girl, rebel girl from my a book, our talented cinema director, Signe, um, she did her first movie when she was 50, but she was talented already when she was 20. But over these 30 years, she always was ashamed and she was always told you cannot do a movie yourself a woman cannot work without a man <laughs> for example you are not married you you have to marry someone it's your job is useless you have you have all these things you have to do and and she is like so polite and uh, and she th- and she believes all those voices <laughs> who tell her like who tell her that no don't make your this animation don't do it like this don't use your voice your voice is ugly you are ugly <laughs> some some voices who know better than herself and then finally like she escapes to new york alone and she makes the this this big uh long uh, fu- full length animation herself it's a huge work. The studio works in it. And she had probably like one assistant and she tells her story <laughs> and it becomes like the uh, top animation in the world that uh, gets all the awards and people understand her story. And they said she's super talented, but she was talented already when she was young. And I, that's what I hope like for the next generations of girls and also of boys and people people who are different uh, that they uh, can do things easier and maybe not spend too much time on useless obstacles that they are not actually real and like have more belief in themselves Um, because when you try to be nice (laughs) um, you listen to everybody and you you listen to those who have those loud voices and uh, and sometimes female voices are not loud enough and um, then they have to wear pink <laughs> to to be seen and to be heard um, well it's really beautiful thing to do and I I really follow what other uh, countries are doing regarding these uh, stories because uh, yeah it's a trend other countries are doing it as well and Lithuania has just uh, made a similar book and and what I discovered that I don't know the Lithuanian ladies I know these uh, popular English French American ladies but I don't know Estonian and Lithuanian women at all any name and I started well I, I haven't started to research about Estonia but I have started to educate myself about Lithuania I read with Google Translate and I discover amazing stories about Stanislava who had 100 kids some of them were her biological kids but she never told them <laughs> she were growing all the kids she adopted and she gave birth to as equals in the same house and she uh, te- she taught to play uh, musical instruments to all of them and and it's just incredible <laughs> 
<laughs> and and many stories like these, yeah, like we have our own uh, Jeanne d'Arc. She was uh, dressing up as a boy and fighting as a fighter, <laughs> as a man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, she won the fights and she was like uh, in the forefront of the army and she was burned because of being woman dressed in in trousers and <laughs> and apparently it's not just a french story there are polish girls and lithuanian girls and ukrainian girls and latvian girls who have been brave even in 16th and 17th century and this is part of europe which is less known less uh, well the enlightenment came from the western countries but the eastern part is usually in the shadow but we have uh, also history and many particular stories to share and make the europe more diverse <laughs> i'm glad that we can be part of that and keep your book in our museum where people can come and uh, read it and educate themselves it was nice to talk to you santa yeah, it was nice to talk, well, to meet you online. Yeah, looking forward to sharing you, yeah. your story with other people and for you thank to come you. to Band Books. Yeah, thank you for inviting and, and meet you hopefully in summer or yeah. spring. Or I hope autumn. so. <laughs> as soon as possible. Let's do it as yeah, soon as possible. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was my conversation with Santa Romeri. And since it was such a major point in the conversation, I think it would be good if I read to you the offending passage, the passage that got so much controversy when the book came out. This is a page about Tatiana Zdanoka, the Latvian MEP. Once upon a time, there was a little diligent girl named Tatiana who lived in Riga, went to a Russian school and spoke Russian language. Tatiana's parents had come here after Latvia's ascension to the Soviet Union Similarly, hundreds of thousands of people from all over the Soviet republics had moved here, and Russian became the main language of communication. Meanwhile, the Latvian language gradually lost its significance, since in order to study or to find a better job in the Soviet Union, everybody had to speak Russian and support the Soviet policies. Tatiana's father had fought in World War II, and the victory day of the Soviet army was one of the biggest celebrations of Tatiana's family. Both of Tatiana's parents were teaching in school and their daughter was a very gifted pupil who gave into everything, languages, math, history, handicrafts, sports, she couldn't pick one. Tatiana finished school with a golden certificate, university with a red diploma, but on the ski slope, even the sportiest guys could not overtake the skillful girl. She was so overpowered that soon she had nobody to compete with. Tatiana became a mathematician and studied probability theory. She was so good that even a theorem was named after her. However, in mathematics, Tatiana could not find a suitable adversary for her. She wanted to fight against someone or something powerful and great. Therefore, during the changing times of the Soviet Reformation, when the entire Latvian nation strived for independence, Tatiana decided to fight against it. Regardless, Latvia regained its independence, and the new national politicians worked hard to get everybody in Latvia to speak Latvian again. But Tatiana didn't give up easily. She continued to defend the rights of Russian speakers to stay in Latvia and continue to speak their native language. To this day, Tatiana is a member of the opposition who is tirelessly opposing the majority. 
She is well aware that many Latvians consider her the enemy of the state, but she does not change her opinion. Tatiana was strongly against Latvia's ascension to the European Union, but now she works in the European Parliament, where she continues to defend Russia's interests and a policy that supports Russian speakers. Sometimes even the strongest and smartest women are filled with contradictions. Latvia is a democratic country, and democracy means that all citizens, regardless of whether we agree with them or not, have the right to express their opinions and defend their interests freely. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can find more information about Banbooks at www.banbooksmuseum.com where you can find links to all of our social media. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash banbooksmuseum where you can join our monthly book club. Your support is very much appreciated. This has been Joseph Dunnigan. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you next time. Mm-hmm.